Okay, so I'm excited to be sharing with you guys again tonight. I just put a mint in my mouth, which is kind of awkward. It's a big, bad decision. But when I pray for you in a few minutes, you're going to be glad I did this mint. Okay, I'm telling you for real. All right, hold on. I got to chew it up. Okay, can you hear that? It's crunching. It's crunching. I don't have any other choice. I took the mint. It was a big mistake. The timing was way off. Does everybody have notes on on uh, on spiritual warfare and achieving victory in that? See, we're into the supernatural and the natural here. You want to have the anointing, but you don't want to kill people with your bad breath. See, that's supernaturally natural. Okay, you want them to fall out, but not because of your stank. All right, I'm just telling you, because of the presence of the Holy Spirit. All right, so good. I'm gonna pray for the for the word tonight and um and I just feel like this is appropriate because uh first we've been in a series on Daniel obviously and the book of Daniel uh gives us a lot of really key insights there's just one particular passage I'm going to highlight from Daniel in this teaching but it gives us a lot of insight into the spiritual realm and how spiritual warfare took place it's one of the things Daniel's most famous for was his 21 day fast that shifted the wicked principality and allowed the will of God to prevail for the nation of Israel and so we're going to talk a little bit about, within the theme of, of the book of Daniel, uh, this idea of, of spiritual warfare. And then also, I feel like genuinely for myself, for some of us here at the House of Prayer, and it's probably true of some of you, there have been seasons where you go through a little bit of spiritual warfare, and I find that many in this generation are not fully equipped to actually be able to engage in spiritual warfare. They haven't been trained about how to actually uh, oppose the enemy in a way that is God-centered and actually allows them to prevail. Most of the time, I think our experience of warfare is like, I know the enemy's punching me, but I'm not sure what to do, so I'm just like, oh, just take it in the face. And that is not a great way to win in spiritual victory. It's like the, it's like the punch it, let him punch me till he gets tired way of winning the fight. And that's uh, not a great way to win a fight, not a good strategy. I don't know if you've ever tried that. I have a couple times in fights. And um, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Whitney got it. Thank you. Whitney was picturing that. So so good, but I'm going to start with prayer, and then we're going to jump in and just talk. I, I am honestly not going to share that long. The clock is completely dysfunctional, so it's blinking at me. It's time is completely off. Now everybody's looking at it, but I have, what'd you say? But it's blinking, but it's right. All right, fair enough. We'll see if it's right in a minute. <laughs> Maybe This may be the one time that clock's right all day. Um, every clock is right at least once a day, you know. Or twice. It's <laughs> a good point, Christian. All right, so let's pray. The AM and the PM. All right, Father, we just thank you for the uh, opportunity, God, to hear your word. And I just ask, Holy Spirit, you would come and instruct our hearts in this room. I ask, Father, that you would train us, equip us by the power of the Holy Spirit how to oppose hosts of wickedness in the heavenly realms and demonic entities in our lives, where they would seek to oppress us, to bring backlash against us, uh, seek to destroy us because we're your people and we're made in your image and we're doing your works. God, I pray that you would teach us not to uh, over overestimate the enemy nor underestimate him, Father, but to rightly view the power of Jesus that we have to overcome him and effectively appropriate that power to see victory. Lord, and I pray that you would give this room specifically very practical wisdom during this time of instruction, uh, that 
it wouldn't be super spiritual warfare wouldn't be something spooky or weird or hyper charismatic, but it would be something very practical that every believer can engage in. I pray this, Lord, that you would release an anointing even on the word of God for instruction tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. Good. So I want to just share a verse with you guys, and uh, a lot of my revelation comes these days when I read my Bible to my daughter. Uh, she's five years old, and she's a, about to go to a Christian school next year, and so one of the things we had to purchase her for her entrance into first grade is she had to get a, a specific Bible, an NIV Kids uh, Adventure Bible, and so it's pretty cool. It's pink with palm trees on it, and she likes, she loves one of her favorite things now is to read out of her new Bible. She's so proud of it, and she has a little Veggie Tales Bible case. It's pink, and it's it's like adorable but um but so we were reading and uh and I got a real revelation out of her pink palm tree bible on spiritual warfare this week when we were reading that uh reading out of it together and so I just want to open kind of with this with this verse because I feel like it gives gives the whole context of what I'm going to share tonight so John 14 30 through 31 and it's from the NIV uh the ESV also similarly captures the thought that's that's in this particular passage this is Jesus speaking to his disciples it's the night he's going to be betrayed and he's going to go through probably the most rigorous time of temptation since the 40 days that he was in the wilderness where Satan is going to tempt him to not obey the will of the father and instead to to yield and to try and uh, escape the cross and Jesus says to his disciples, I will not say much more to you for the prince of this world is coming. So he knew, you know, Satan was going to possess Judas and Satan was going to try and sequence events in order to get Jesus to disobey the will of the Father. But Jesus says, speaking of Satan, he has no hold over me, but he comes, look at this verse, it's so powerful and profound, verse 31 he comes. Why did Satan come? So the world may learn that I love the Father and do exactly what my Father has commanded me. What an intriguing thought that the whole reason that Satan came and tempted Jesus and brought about his suffering and ultimate perse uh, persecution at the cross, the whole purpose of Satan's involvement from heaven's perspective was so that Jesus could demonstrate his obedience and love for the Father. And I want to tell you, the context of spiritual warfare, ultimately in your life, whatever temptation you're going through, do I need to switch mics? Okay. All right. So whatever the challenge, whatever the temptation is that you're going through, the ultimate purpose of it is that you would prevail over that temptation and a demonstration of love and obedience to God. God is never allowing Satan to come against you to destroy you or to uh, overcome you with sin or to ensnare you in something. The reason ultimately that Satan is allowed to come against you with temptation or spiritual warfare or, or oppression is so you can ultimately, through obedience to the Father, prevail and demonstrate your love to him. And some of the greatest tokens of love that we're going to be able to give God in the eternal age is going to be in that time when we felt so oppressed or so discouraged or so fearful, and yet we overcame that fear, overcame that discouragement, and hoped and trusted in God. And that opposition actually becomes the arena in which we get to display our love for him. What a bummer for the devil 
that his sole purpose for coming in the times when he feels like he can score a win is actually a time in which the glory of God is demonstrated through our obedience and weakness. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that what this says right here? He comes, the whole reason that Satan got to come was so that Jesus could demonstrate his love for the Father. And you would think that's the thing the devil wants to avoid the most, and he's actually bringing about his very own defeat and humiliation through Jesus' obedience and love for the Father. So no matter what, so I just wanted to open our conversation on spiritual warfare tonight with that simple thought that we cannot lose as long as we demonstrate love and obedience to the Father. We can't lose. It doesn't doesn't matter how the enemy is able to come against us. If we submit to God and resist the devil, he's going to flee from us. I also want to just share, because I was talking a little bit about how, you know, we don't want spiritual warfare to be something that's spooky or weird or strange. It's something that every believer can engage with. And I just want to reference, you know, Mark 16, 17. It says, these signs will follow those who believe. In my name, they will cast out demons. Paul in Ephesians 6, he writes to his beloved church in Ephesus. This is a church where he baptized the elders himself and prayed for them to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And this church that he himself founded and grew and eventually became the largest church in the region in which uh, all the cities surrounding Ephesus actually heard the gospel. This church that he planted, he writes some of the most powerful thoughts in all of the New Testament to, and he tells them in Ephesians 6, he says, you are to wrestle against principalities and powers. And he doesn't just direct that to the elders or to the apostles or to the pastors. He directs it to the entire congregation. And he says, I want you to put on the armor of light and I want you to do battle against the forces of darkness. And this is is every believer's portion, okay? It's this reality that when you became a Christian, yes, you entered a family, yes, you entered a kingdom, but you also entered a war as long as you're living in this earth realm. And Jesus ultimately has won the victory for us, but just as we appropriate our salvation by faith and just as we appropriate healing by faith, we also appropriate victory in spiritual warfare by faith in Jesus' finished work on the cross. All right, good. Let's jump into the notes here. So there's this idea, first and foremost, that there's a first, second, and third heavens. And the third heavens is the abode of God. The second heavens is where angels and demons wage war. The first heavens is the natural realm that surrounds all of us. And I remember one of the first times I had a real revelation of this. I was working in a summer camp, and uh, I was like the charismatic camp counselor there. Everybody else was evangelical. And so they were kind of like, Everybody was like, that's the guy that speaks in tongues. And so they all kind of thought I was a little bit, you know, a little bit odd. And, um, and I'm at this camp. But see, whenever they had a problem with like spiritual warfare or something they didn't understand, they'd go, go get the guy that speaks in tongues, you know. And so there was this cabin, and I'm not exaggerating, there was, there was demonic activity that was in the physical space of this cabin. And so the counselors who were grown men in their early 20s, uh, would get stricken with fear and panic in the, midst of the ni- in the middle of the night. And the kids would toss and turn in their beds, and they would actually swear in their sleep. And there were just these unusual demonic manifestations that were taking place. There were very few kids that were making decisions for Christ in the cabin. And the head counselor, who was a friend of mine, he said there was just a noticeable oppression whenever they tried to pray in, the, in that 
in that space whenever they tried to lead their Bible studies. And so something had occurred within the atmosphere of that cabin that allowed there to be some kind of demonic attachment in that, in that space where there was a demonic entity that was oppressing these kids and oppressing the counselors. And so, of course, they said, go get the guy that speaks in tongues. And so they're like, hey, we feel like uh, this is weird. We don't know if any, who exactly to talk to about this, but... We get really scared at night and we feel like there's something like supernatural or spiritual happening in our cabin. Will you come in and will you just pray in the atmosphere there? And this is again, coming back to the point of the second heavens, how there's a natural physical realm, but there's a spiritual invisible realm that is attached. it's, It's connected to the physical realm, but it's unseen. Just because you can't see it doesn't mean it's real. And it can really impact people and our emotions and our physical and spiritual well-being when we enter into atmospheres. Sometimes uh, demonic presences can attach to people. Sometimes they can attach to buildings. Sometimes they're over principalities, high-level spiritual hosts of wickedness can be over entire geographic regions. And so in this particular case, there was some kind of demonic entity that for some reason, uh, and we'll talk a little more about the power of human agreement, but for some reason there was an attachment to this, to this cabin. And so I go into this space and Uh, you can immediately, I go in after the kids have gone to sleep and the uh, counselors are there and and they just had asked me to come in and I had to wait till my campers were asleep. And so it's, you know, nine or 10 in the evening and I come in there just to pray and just see if I discern anything. And when I got filled with the Holy Spirit, I began to experience what uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 describes as the gift of discernment of spirits. And so I would begin to see sometimes angels and demons with, with my open eyes. Uh, at other times, I would actually feel a demonic presence, um, and you know, I could describe different ways in which I feel that. Either it feels like a, a physical heaviness or a, a, a negative emotion. Sometimes when praying for people, I'll feel the, whatever the demonic oppression is, and I'll be able to relate back to them, hey, is this something specific that you're struggling with? Because I'm experiencing at some level within my five senses whatever it is they're experiencing. And so I walk into the cabin, and immediately I feel the heaviness of the atmosphere that's there, and I'm acutely aware that there's something demonic present in the cabin. And so I begin to just kind of walk and pray in the spirit over, over one side of the cabin. And the cabin was divided, so it's like this side, there's a bunch of bunk beds and there's a bunk room. And then on this side, there's a bunch of bunk beds with a door, uh, open door in between and a wall. And what was so amazing was I would pray on one side of the cabin, all the oppression and atmosphere would shift and change, and it would begin to feel light and begin to feel, you know, like like the atmosphere of worship as I was worshiping, just inviting the presence of God in. And then I would walk, literally, it's, it's a cabin that's partitioned by a wall, but I would walk into the other physical space and the oppression would still be lingering on the other side. And I would pray in that space and, and pray and ask the Lord to fill that space. And that space would begin to lighten. And then I would walk over and I would feel that the other atmosphere had grown a little heavier as I had stopped interceding. And so I just kept interceding and praying until both atmospheres of both rooms that were in this cabin felt completely free and clear. And then I just kind of anointed the space. And then the next day I realized that because God delegates authority over geographic regions and spaces and so it's like if it's my home I have a unique authority over the physical room that is my home those counselors had a unique authority over the physical space that was their cabin and so we just prayed together and just said out loud we renounced any uh, demonic oppression we submitted the cabin to Jesus and then we had after I prayed with the counselors the next day we had all the kids worship inside the cabin and something in the atmosphere completely broke 
and the panic, uh, the issues of panic with the camp counselors stopped. The issues of night terrors and cussing in their sleep with the kids stopped. And that week, they had half their cabin make decisions to serve the Lord where there had been no decisions made for Jesus. And none of the kids knew what we had done, but those acts of spiritual warfare had actually shifted the atmosphere so that previously where kids were blind to the glory of the gospel, now they had a capacity to see. So that was not the most powerful example I could give you of spiritual warfare. I've had many other powerful examples of angels and demons and how the fruit of spiritual warfare brings breakthrough over churches and over regions. But it was one of the most impactful because it was one of the first I ever experienced. And I realized by experience, what I'm teaching you guys tonight is true. That if you learn to engage with the weapons of your warfare rather than remain silent in the face of opposition or, uh, or, or shrink back because you're uncertain, but rather if you engage with the weapons of prayer and worship and praying in the spirit and using the wisdom of scripture and declaring the word of God, and if you use these powerful weapons, you can actually bring about changes in atmosphere through spiritual warfare that will break people free from the bondage of unbelief. It will break people free from the bondage of fear. It will break people free from the bondage of confusion and depression and all manner of things which the enemy wants to enforce against the believers. But Jesus has given us weapons and we have to appropriate those weapons and use them to bring breakthrough for the kingdom of God. Amen? And so there's a real second heavens. We need to operate in a gift of discernment and we need to utilize the gifts of the spirit and the weapons of our warfare to actually break through in that realm so that the kingdom of God can go forth. So spiritual conflict, as I mentioned, is a a prevalent theme in the book of Daniel. And I just want to note, because this is the summary of a lot of what I'm going to say today right here in this passage, Daniel chapter 10, the angel appears to Daniel. He says, do not fear, Daniel, from the first day you... Set your heart to understand and humble yourself before God. Your words were heard, and I've come because of your words. And the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days. Behold, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I'd been left alone there with the king of Persia. I'm not going to impact the entirety of this story. I just want you to see two vital things that the angel tells us. First, was it the will of God for that angel to go to Daniel? Absolutely right? Because from the moment that Daniel begins to pray, the angel is dispatched from the throne of God with an assignment, with a message, but the will of God, the the clear will of God was hindered because of demonic opposition, okay? And just because something is expressly God's will does not mean that the devil does not have power at some level to oppose it. And so what we have to do is through our agreement with God, we can overcome that demonic opposition. And what was it that caused the angel to actually come in the first place? It was Daniel's words. And our words as believers have power because we are created in the image of a God who formed everything through words. Jesus was in fact the word made flesh. And if you go and study how Jesus conducted spiritual warfare, take a look at Luke chapter 4, Matthew chapter 4, where Jesus is tempted. How did he respond to the devil? With words, and specifically the word of God. And so it's through words that we move angels and demons. And I like what Mike Bickle says in his teaching on spiritual authority. He says, in the spiritual realm, right, no tank, no ballistic missile, no gun can cause a demon to move, right? There is nothing that natural carnal weapons can do against a principality. 
Human armies are utterly helpless against the hordes of heaven, but an anointed believer with the word of God in their mouth can make a principality move in the authority of Jesus. That gives us as Christians a unique power and authority that no army in all of the earth has over the kingdom of darkness. So of course the devil wants to deceive us into being in unbelief, into thinking that we don't have any spiritual authority, into being impotent or lethargic so that we won't actually use the authority that we have to overcome him because you are the only ones that have that power. Amen. Matthew 18, 18. Assuredly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. What is uh, Jesus speaking of? He's actually speaking of that spiritual realm, the heavenly realms. And he goes, I'm giving you authority in the earth when you bind something. Like in the name of Jesus, I bound a spirit of fear over that cabin, right? When you bind it in the natural realm, I spoke natural words into a natural space. But in the heavenly realms, those spirits were bound. And I loosed the power of the Holy Spirit and I loosed the angels of God and I loosed the will of God to bring salvation and what I loosed came to pass in the natural. I loosed it in heaven and it came to pass in the natural. I bound it in the natural and it was bound in heaven and that's exactly what Jesus is talking about and he emphasizes it twice. He says, again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth concerning anything you ask, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven for where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them and Jesus gives us the secret to why there's authority in the gathering of believers. It's because though Jesus is present with us in our prayer closets, though he's present with us when we drive down the road and we're talking and singing to him. Jesus is my best friend. He's with me everywhere I go. And I do not doubt that he would never leave me nor forsake me. It is a scriptural principle that God is uniquely present with his people when they're assembled together. And he, he describes the minimum number of people required for togetherness, which is two, right? And he says, if there's just two of you, then I'm uniquely there in the midst of you. And if I'm uniquely there, there's an authority that is present through the agreement of the two of you and me in the midst of you to bind and loose in the heavenly realms. So it's important to understand not just the binding of demons, but the loosing of angels that operates in conjunction with prayer and prophecy from the saints because the authority over the earth has been placed in our hands. Therefore, through our agreement with heaven, we release its power into the earth many times through angels. And this is the idea that literally at the very beginning of creation, it says God gave Adam and Eve authority to do what over the animals? Gave them authority to name them. And when you name something, everybody like said something different. That was kind of funny. No, authority to name them. And when you name something, you use the power of words like I'm going to name my children, Right? or I have named my children, and I'm about to name my, my fourth child that I'm about to have. And when, I name, when you name something, you're exercising ownership over that thing you've named. It's a, a very precious and powerful responsibility that God delegated to Adam. And it demonstrated Adam's authority and dominion and ownership of all the earth. Now, unfortunately, Adam subsequently, through joining Satan's rebellion in distrusting and disobeying God, yielded that authority to the devil. And the devil took part of Adam's authority for the earth realm. And that's why when the devil appears to Jesus, the devil says in Luke chapter 4, the authority for all the kingdoms of the world have been given to me. Who gave it to the devil? Did God give it to the devil? 
No, Adam gave it to the devil. God gave Adam authority over the earth and Adam gave his authority to Satan when he joined Satan's rebellion. But thankfully, a second Adam has come. And where Adam in the garden disobeyed his father, Jesus knelt in a garden and said, not my will, but yours be done. And through obedience to the father, loving obedience to the father, he took back the authority for all humanity. And so now, Satan's only power to oppose us is through deception. Because it says, it says in Colossians that the, at the cross, Jesus disarmed all principalities and powers. And so Satan is a defeated foe, but we still have to appropriate that victory that was accomplished in the cross. So we see Psalm 8, verse 6, speaking of humanity. You've made him to have dominion over the works of your hands and have put all things under his feet. In Psalm 115, the earth he has given to the sons of men. So what that means is that in the earth realm where God has delegated authority to us, what we agree with matters. What we agree with matters. And especially as the church and as believers, if we yield our eye gates and our ear gates to music and media or to covetousness or to greed or to lust, if we give ourselves over to the temptations of the evil one and we agree with him, through our sin, we empower demonic forces both in our lives and the lives of the sphere that God has entrusted to us. The opposite is true, that as God's delegated authority, if we break our agreement with Satan and we agree with God in righteousness, in purity, and in holiness, then we empower his holy angels, the power of the Holy Spirit, and our lives will bear much fruit, and the impact on our sphere will be the right, uh, an increasing righteousness that is the fruit of the kingdom of God. Amen. And one of the things that's awesome to realize is though there are a lot of demonic forces, it says that, uh, it says, you know, in, in scripture that with Satan, Satan deceived one third of the angels and two thirds remained on God's side. And so the angels outranked the demons at least two to one, right? And so one of the primary purposes for which angels were even created or, or one of the primary things that they do is to minister to the heirs of salvation, which it says in Hebrews 1.13, and so what releases the angelic activity to actually come alongside humanity is our agreement with the ministry of the Holy Spirit and the words that we speak to God in the place of intercession. So are you guys ready to learn a little bit of how to loose angels and demons? Because we're going to get real practical here. Does that sound good? One of the most powerful experiences that I've ever had with an angel was actually when I was um, receiving some inner healing and deliverance ministry. There was a man who was a, a, a prophetic uh, deliverance minister. He was uh, from West Africa, and this man had come to town as a guest at a school of supernatural ministry where I was attending over in Buford, and they set up one-on-one -on -one sessions for anybody that wanted to receive special healing and impartation from this minister that was in town. And so, of course, I signed up because I'm like, who doesn't want to go to the African deliverance minister, right? And, um, and so I signed up for a special slot and I sat down with him and we had a very casual conversation just talking about the things that I wanted to see the Lord produce healing and freedom from in my life. And then he goes, okay, now, now we're going to pray. And like something in the atmosphere shifts when he begins to pray and he begins to pray in the spirit. And all of a sudden I see this bright flash of light behind him. 
and I realize there's this angel like that's just come into the room and he doesn't even approach me he just says stand up and put your hands out and I stand up and put, put my hands out to just begin receiving from the Lord um, and I usually feel the presence of the Holy Spirit in worship and other things like that but at this particular time I felt the presence of God like I had not ever felt the presence of God before it literally felt like my blood inside my hands was boiling there was such intense heat and electricity coursing from my fingertips up through my arms and through my shoulders and uh and the um power of the Holy Spirit just upon me and I got a powerful impartation and deliverance during that prayer time and it was because of the agreement and the authority that this man carried in the place of prayer but that agreement created an atmosphere in which angels could actually come and minister to me okay uh, similarly I was at a, a ministry trip in in Brazil in uh in Rio de Janeiro and there's a minister this healing minister named Randy Clark and Randy is known for his many massive healing crusades that he's done in Brazil and many places throughout the world with a ministry called Global Awakening. And on this particular night, he was doing a time, we'd already seen so many miracles, people who had metal rods in their backs completely healed. Um, I had prayed for a woman in particular who had, uh, she'd had to wear a diaper because she had bladder problems. And Hannah and I got to pray for her. My wife and I prayed for this woman. And, uh, and there were healing lines where there were just a ton of people that were praying for folks, but this was just one that I saw in particular that night. And she gets completely healed, and she no longer has to wear the diaper anymore, and her bladder's completely, she's able to hold her, hold her, uh, hold her bladder for the first time in years. And it, that miracle completely transformed. Can you imagine how that transformed that woman's life? And we had just seen miracle after miracle, people's eyes opening, people's ears opening, people getting, uh, beginning to have a, a increased capacity to walk, and just all kinds of tumors shrinking in people's bodies. I mean, just amazing miracles. And on this particular night, he's praying for impartation. And when the time uh, comes to actually begin to pray, it was like the, I, I can't describe it to you uh, any other way but to say it felt like I could physically see the roof of the building, but it felt like almost like the ceiling had opened and these uh, could just discern this angelic presence beginning to pour in through the top of the room. And all of a sudden the room is filled with not just the presence of the Holy Spirit, but the discernible presence of angelic beings and just healings and miracles and people begin to manifest the power of the Holy Spirit and begin to get slain in the Spirit and begin to shake under the power of God. And it was something discernibly different than even the other nights when there were uh, special miracles and different things that were happening because of the manifest presence of the angelic. And so I share these experiences because I want to give you vision that it's not just something that's described biblically. It's something I've experienced in my life, and it's something to provoke you to say, man, God, I want to see moments where the atmosphere shifts in a room and angelic presence floods because we're all too familiar with the presence of the demonic, right, in our culture. I mean, you can go to the mall and you feel the presence of the demonic. You go to the, you go to the concert and you feel the presence of the demonic. You go to, I mean, just all kinds of different places where there is so much demonic presence in our culture but beloved through our agreement and our intercession and our worship we can learn to break open the heavens and invite the presence of the angelic and he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world and literally I've had God say to me before because our agreement creates an atmosphere of heaven around us he said I'm not just sending you so that you can go I'm sending you so you can create an atmosphere where my angels can go 
And that's what we do as a worshiping and praying people. Like when we go on a missions assignment, I know God's not just sending me, he's sending me into a place to bring my agreement to bear in the place of prayer so that he can send the agreement, that, so he can send the angels that come when I bring agreement into a city or into a nation or to a church. Does that make sense? Yes. It's sometimes it's as important that my angels go as that I go. I have not my personal angels, but the angels that are assigned <laughs> to people in ministries. And so when we agree, that creates an atmosphere and God's angelic presence can come in that place. So I said, how do we actually do that? How do we actually create and cultivate that? Victory in spiritual warfare, weapons of our warfare. So here's just five simple ways, and then I'm going to land and invite people to come forward. If you want revelation, gift of discernment of spirits, equipping to be able to enter into spiritual warfare, I just want to lay hands on people and ask for an impartation. Ask for that very same thing that God gave me early on when I got filled with the Holy Spirit, the capacity to discern, which is the first step to waging effective warfare. Because if you can't discern the enemy, if you can't distinguish him, then it's very hard to combat him. And I feel like God wants to release a gift of discernment and faith to people so that you can actually enter into effective warfare. So here are different ways in which we agree with God so that we can accomplish victory in spiritual warfare. First, worship. Worship is so powerful because worship is agreement with who God is. And when we agree, God, you're worthy. God, you're beautiful. God, you're holy. God, you're good. That runs contrary to every one of the enemy's accusations in the earth realm. Because the enemy wants to accuse and say, no, God's a liar. God's unfaithful. God's boring. And God's unkind. God doesn't care about you. God is distant. God is inaccessible. God's not there for you. And the enemy's constantly bringing those accusations into our culture. God's not real. God's dead. Whatever the accusation may be, but our worship is contrary to all those lies and accusations. When we shut our eyes and we say, Jesus, you're beautiful. There is no more powerful weapon to tear down the demonic lies. There is no more powerful weapon than someone caught up in the realm of God's beauty, perceiving the throne of majesty and glory with tears in their eyes, perceiving something more real than what you can see with your natural eyes. Because what you see with your natural eyes, it's going to pass away. But what you see with the eyes of your heart, that's going to remain forever in eternity. And we're going to gaze on that throne forever in eternity. And so when you glimpse it, when you're captivated by it, it produces something in the human heart that cannot be argued or accused against. I've had so many people say to me, I wish I could have what you have because it's obvious that it's real, but I just don't have it or I just can't believe it. And I look at them and I say, believe me, if I can have it with God, you can because I was the worst of the worst, right? But that provocation to the hard-hearted, that provocation to the one who says, you know, I, I don't believe in God or I could never believe in God, but the fact that they would see something in your life and they would say, man, I want to believe in God. I wish I could believe in God. That's the most powerful warfare and it comes through our worship. Intercession, it's agreement. So if worship is agreement with who God is, intercession is agreement with what God has promised to do. And it's simply taking the word of God, holding it before him and saying, God, you have said, fill in the blank. 
One of my favorite pray, pray, uh, passages to intercede with, Second Chronicles 7.14, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, pray and seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven, I'll forgive your sin, and I'll come and I'll heal your land. And holding that promise up before the throne of God and saying, God, you promised you would release healing to those who humble themselves and repent. God, you promised. Psalm 103, bless the Lord, O my soul, all that is within me. Forget not his benefits. He who heals all your diseases. God, you said you were a God who would heal all my diseases. And we hold these promises of God up in the place of intercession and we remind him of who he has said that he would be. And we ask him to come and manifest it in the earth. Thirdly, repentance, which I just gave a great example of a repentance passage. Repentance is coming to agreement with God's heart, loving what God loves and hating what God hates. God hates pornography. God hates sexual abuse. God hates covetousness and jealousy and anger. God hates these things. He hates the destruction it brings to our lives and our relationships and our sphere. And so when we break our agreement with what God hates and we say, God, we want to hate it too, rather than taking fleshly pleasure in it. That agreement, it actually, it's, it's what's described in, uh, in the book of James, chapter four, where James says, submit to God, resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Repent, weep, mourn, and lament. Draw near to God, and he will come close to you. Healing prayer, it's coming into agreement with God's heart for physical healing. And then serving, it's coming into agreement with the servant heart of Jesus. And I'll just highlight this one because we're preaching a series on humility. Some of the most powerful warfare that you can do is to resist the pride in your own heart and get down and serve your brother and your sister, perhaps physically washing their feet or perhaps metaphorically doing some other act of self-humiliation in order to prefer and exalt another. Like, sure, honey, I'll change the diaper this time. Or I'll take out the trash. Or I'll do the dishes. And what that does in our hearts is it brings us out of agreement with the spirit of this world. And it brings us into agreement with the value system of the kingdom of heaven. Where the meek are the ones that inherit the whole earth. And the poor in spirit are the ones who receive the kingdom of God. So very practically... How do we actually do this? I gave some broad strokes right there. When I'm engaging in spiritual warfare, if I sense opposition in some place in my life, one of the first things I begin to do, so I'll just give you a quick one, two, three. It's not in the notes, but I encourage you guys to write this down and then we'll do our ministry time. It's 9.15 and I'll do this in two minutes. So a quick one, two, three. When I'm sensing spiritual opposition in my life, I'm sensing that there's something that God wants to do, but I'm not sure how to get there. Or I wake up and perhaps there's just something that doesn't feel right. I feel oppressed or I'm wrestling with fear or anxiety or worry or uncertainty. One of the first things that I'll do is I first, um, I, I begin to pray in the spirit. So if you don't have your prayer language, I encourage you, that's something to begin to ask God for. Ask God to fill you with the Spirit and to give you the gift of tongues and, uh, and interpretation of tongues and really all the gifts of the Spirit. But there's a reason why when God filled his people with the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, one of the first gifts that he manifested was the gift of tongues was because that gift is for personal edification and it strengthens you in the place of spiritual warfare uh, when you're battling oppression. 
So praying in tongues. Begin to lift your voice in worship before God. The very first one we mentioned, agreeing first with who God is. And then from that place, take a promise from Scripture related to whatever it is you're facing. If you're facing fear, take a promise that says, in the Psalms, it says, you know, um, in Psalm 27, it says, uh, if God is for me, who, what man can be against me? Who can be against me? I shall not fear. Though an army rise against me, in this my heart can be confident that God is for me. Romans 8. We overwhelmingly conquer through him who loves us. First John chapter, I believe it's first John chapter four, where it says the perfect love of God drives out all fear. These places in scripture. And so you're battling fear. Grab some of those passages and just begin to declare them as truth back to God. And we keep God as the center of our warfare because we don't see even one time in all of scripture where anyone prays to the devil. There are appropriate times in which you need to rebuke an oppression off of yourself, off of someone, off an atmosphere. But even in the midst of our, uh, our opposing the enemy, we keep our focus on God. And even in, uh, even in our intercession, we address the truth of God's promises back to him and remind him. And then we prevail in that place, meaning we just continue in that place of praying in the spirit, worshiping God, and reminding him of his promises. And we do those things using our words. I know that sounds so simple, but so many people try and rebuke the devil inside their head. And I'm telling you, it's so much more effective. God says life and death is in the power of the tongue which means we actually have to speak words with our mouth if we want to bring forth life. So we open our mouth and we speak words to God, we pray in the spirit, we worship him, and we speak his promises back to him, and we continue to do that until something breaks or God gives a revelation and an insight. And it's in that place of worship and reminding God of his promises that oftentimes God will bring conviction. And he'll say, hey, you need to break your agreement with such and such. And that's a place in which um, is actually allowing this oppression to come to you. I had a friend recently repent, of, repent to me because uh, some opposition from the enemy came against this person's family. And they realized uh, the Lord convicted them and they repented. And they said a few days ago they'd watched a horror movie. And in the horror movie there was a, a, a spirit of, uh, there was a real spirit of fear that came on them through this horror movie that they watched. And they said, I realized that I opened a door there and uh, there was some spiritual attack that was happening in their family. And so they, uh, in the midst of us praying, they just said, I have to repent of this. I confess it and I'm not going to do that anymore. And they closed that door and then we prayed and the whole situation that they were facing turned around. And so that's a really a real thing, but we don't start there. We just trust God. We ask God, we open our hearts to him and say, God, show me where I need to disagree with the enemy where I've opened a door for his oppression in my life. And as we do that, we close that door and then we agree with God. He brings breakthrough. Good, so some pretty simple steps. But if you've never made a practice of doing this in your life, I challenge you, maybe there's a person that you've been trying to witness to, but it seems like no matter how much you speak to them, uh, they just don't have an ability to see or understand what you're saying. 
I challenge you, do spiritual warfare. Begin to pray in the spirit. Begin to sing over their situation. Begin to declare the promise of God and begin to ask God to show you what are the kinds of things that, that need to have agreement broken with over their life. Where, do they need to, uh, where does agreement need to be made with God over who they are? and who their identity is in Christ and begin to make those proclamations over their life in the place of intercession and see, I just challenge you, don't just let these be good teachings that you've heard tonight. Begin to take this in the next week or two weeks and put some of these principles of warfare into practice so you see the enemy's schemes driven back. And for the ones who say, yes, I'm willing to do that, I believe God has an impartation of discernment and angelic protection that he wants to give to you tonight. So let's stand together. The worship team can come on up. So Father, we ask right now in the name of Jesus for your angels just to begin to pour into this room, Lord. I pray, Father, for the anointing of the Holy Spirit. I thank you for, I thank you for the experiences that you've given me in the past that I was able to share from tonight, Lord. And I pray right now, God, that supernatural wisdom and revelation will begin to flow into the hearts of every one of these students. I pray understanding of how the spiritual realm works. Understanding of how the kingdom of heaven works. God, I ask, Father, for the very ceiling of this room to open up and for the angels of God to begin to pour in. Lord, we agree right now with who you are. You are good. You're always good. You've always been good. Lord, and in any place where the enemy comes against this house, comes against any of these students, God, we raise up the standard of the name of Jesus tonight. We lift up the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ as our defense. We say, if God is for us, who can be against us? And though an army of demonic forces might be arrayed against us, we shall not be afraid. We thank you that the name of the Lord is a strong tower. We thank you, God, that you've given us armor of light. We thank you, Father, that you've granted the authority to every believer to trample upon serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the evil one, you've granted us authority to drive out demons in your name, Lord. 